You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? That's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. What's going on? The 96th floor is on fire. You're gonna be just fine, I promise you that. No, 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 no! Daddy! Tell me, how much do you love your family? If we're gonna get out of here, you're gonna have to tell me the truth. There's a reason they chose this building. My family is the only thing that matters to me right now. Hello and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me, your host Rob Daniel, editor of electric-shadows.com and as always I'm very happy to say I'm joined by my learned co-host Mr Rob Wallace. And as always it is an absolute pleasure to be here. First of all an apology, the podcast before last for The Incredibles 2, I said let's do the plugs and then I did my plugs and didn't think to ask you what your plugs were. So, um, Rob, if people want to follow you on that thing called the social media web work... That's exactly what it's called. I've, me- I've many times had... Yeah, can I... What's your, what's your, what's your kind of the social media web work thing, McGee? Yeah. How would they do that? Um, you can follow me on... Uh, probably best if you're, if, if you're so inclined. If you follow me on Twitter, at Robert M. Wallace. Anything I'm involved in, and creatively in any capacity, usually uh, winds its way there. Including a play. You're in a play, aren't you? I, I am in a play. It's It's got nothing to do with film, although the original stage version did have Jim Rotterton in it. So. Oh, well, that's cool. I'm not playing the Jim Rotterton character. It's called Nell Gwynn. I'm not Nell Gwynn. I'm playing a character called Dryden, who, believe it or not, is uh, a neurotic writer. So. <laughs> <laughs> it just writes itself, really, doesn't it? Yes, I would say the part you're born to play, but that would be horrible. But are you? do you find that you can find your way into the role? Um, yes, it's not It's not been as challenging as others, he said, pretentiously. <laughs> no, uh, so I've, I've only a couple of rehearsals in so far, enjoying it tremendously. Could uh, Should hopefully be quite good. Cool. And if you want to find me on the social media web work, you can find me on Twitter at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. And you can find my writing at Electric Shadows. You can find this podcast on Pocket Cast and Stitcher and Padcast I think it's called for Android and iTunes for iOS and SoundCloud as well we are everywhere amongst the social media web work aren't we we've we've woven ourselves into the social media web work and I think we've coined that phrase as well but we offer it to you the people hashtag social media web work okay so other things to clear up one tiny bit of pilot error from the Dark Knight special that we did I said that Insomnia, the original version, was a Swedish film. It is, of course, a Norwegian film. So, well done if you spotted that deliberate mistake. <clears throat> so, it's actually quite nice that we are talking about Mission Impossible Fallout for this one, because I think that that film owes a big debt to what Nolan did with the Dark Knight trilogy, so there's a nice bit of tie in there from the previous episode. I can't believe you had the foresight to make a mistake in the pre- in that podcast just to set it up, bringing it back. I mean, 
that is the grand plan. I am a bit like the Joker in that. I wanted to get caught so that I could do that. Your Honour. <laughs> so, anyway, before we get on to the latest cruise adventure, shall we talk about Skyscraper, the latest Dwayne Johnson adventure? A film that I had kind of declared a masterpiece before I'd seen it, and I have seen it now, as have you, so let's give our verdict on Skyscraper. But first of all, let's start with the IMDb plot synopsis. A security expert must infiltrate a burning skyscraper 225 stories above ground when his family are trapped inside by criminals. Hmm. Ooh. So it's kind of the towering inferno meets Die Hard with The Rock. It sounds like it should be the best film ever made. Rob, is this the best film ever made? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, it's supposed to be eight hundred. No, I'll say there are there are good. Uh, there, are, there are strong cases to be made for other works of cinema. Um, I think my <laughs> like film, Die Hard, <laughs> like Die Hard. I think this film, unlike Die Hard, is kind of a prisoner of its own, a, a hostage, you could say, a hostage of its own budget of needing to be this massive vehicle for The Rock. And kind of like Rampage, which before, which I, which I actually preferred earlier in the year, this doesn't, re- it doesn't really have any personality beyond what it's drawing on. I mean, The Rock is this muscly, believe it or not, very, <laughs> very uh, charismatic, humourful, he's a security consultant named Will, Will Sawyer. Yeah. And uh, he's... Only sort of deviation from the usual rock archetype is that he uh, he's got one leg. Yeah, he, he um, lost his le- one of his legs in. Or do we do we want to say or really? That? Yeah, there's like these. He was once an FBI special operative who specialised who specialised in hostage negotiation. One of these things goes explosively wrong at the beginning of the film, and he loses a leg because of it. Yes, this is one of those films where there's a really interesting point that you pointed out in your very good review of the film, where you said. The Rock in this film, or Dwayne Johnson, gives the skyscraper a clean bill of health, no matter what he says in the trailer. And you're absolutely right. In the film, he says, yep, you've done it all okay. This is a really, really tall building, but it's completely safe. And in the trailer, it's like, because you have designed this building in this way, you have made it incredibly dangerous in all the different ways that I could think of or something like that. And yeah, so that worked really well in the trailer to set up the tension. But in this he seems to have taken the character in a different direction. I think it's just... But you still get to the same end. Because I think they realise that they they don't actually really pay it off in any way. Having him be right doesn't prove anything. And it just basically gives a chance in the the trailer for the uh, the Noah Taylor character, Mr. Pierce, who is clearly meant to... I thought, based on Die Hub, was going to end up being more like a, a Thorndike character. More like uh, Thorndike from Die Hard as played by uh, Richard Atherton. Um, Weasley, self-interested, yeah. The guy who's in there kind of mucking stuff up for the hero who's there trying to save the day. This guy's really only out for himself and doesn't really care who else gets hurt. Yeah, I kind of thought it was one of those where... Yeah, I just don't think it was interested in that level of... Character. Of character. It was one of those where it's like, here is The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, as I believe he likes to be called, and here is his wife... Nev Campbell, who has returned to films after apparently a self-imposed hiatus where she was having a family or something like that, which wanted to take a break. And here are his kids, so they're what he's going to be fighting for. And here are the bad guys who are deliberately sabotaging this building. It was one of those where I thought, because when I saw the trailers, I thought, no, you're giving away the whole film. I didn't think they did give away the whole film. I, I, I still thought that there were some surprises in there. And I did actually have a really nice time watching the film. It just seemed a bit grounded <laughs> it was, which is ironic for a film that takes place in the sky 
Mm. I kind of had the thing where, based on the scale it's operating at, this is the tallest building in the world. It's something you know, it's meant to be kilometer tall to dwarf the Burj Khalifa, and it's got this, you know, like a not a biosphere, like an atrium in it. This like. Mm. And it's got this thing called the Pearl on top of it that's kind of like a virtual reality panopticon with all these cameras positioned around it so it can essentially vanish in mirroring what's on the outside. But it's basically just there. It's like you're set- standing in the sky. Yeah, to set up like a high-tech version of the House of Mirrors climax from Lady in Shanghai. Yes, which has also been done in Into the Dragon and... Total Recall, it also seemed to be riffing on a bit in this. And that's the thing, is that it seemed like it was pulling in all these quite disparate other films and action films, but without really a personality of its own. And even though I thought there were some really, really great moments in it where I was laughing at kind of how exciting and preposterous it was, the bit on the crane, which is in the trailer, but again, they don't spoil all of it, being the best example. But there's another example where it's having to swing around the building and stuff like that. I did think that it was a film that tried to go for serious thriller vibe rather than a really huge epic rather silly action film vibe Dwayne Johnson has been talking about it on Instagram talking about how his character Will is really important like he's this guy who's who's obviously suffered a serious injury and he's recovering from that and he's got maybe he's got PTSD to an extent it's like the film does nothing with this no it doesn't which is is weird because there's a scene there's a moment in the climax of the film that kind of recalls the accident that he has Right, yeah, it's, and, but they, they never they never make it explicit. It's just entirely implicit. It's like, oh no, that feels like something that you could draw a parallel between and actually build that into his journey. Well, I thought they were trying to make it not be cheesy, and it's like, well, I think this is the kind of film where you need to up the fromage level a little bit on this film because this is inherently cheesy what you're doing here. But again, you know, as you were saying, because he has a life changing injury, and they don't want to, I think be seen to be using that as a cheap gimmick they seem to be afraid to have any fun with the film although actually I thought that he uses his prosthetic limb to save the day in some really really good ways and I thought well actually I think you are doing something quite good with this in saying just because he's missing a limb it doesn't mean to say that he can't be an action hero actually he can be he can be an action hero in a way that an able-bodied person couldn't be because he can do things with his prosthetic limb yeah there is there's um, a point at which where it's like he would have been screwed if he hadn't had a prosthetic limb. Yeah, and it's interesting, again, because there are some people on the internet that have come out and said, this is actually really good, and it's a very good way to represent somebody who has this sort of injury. And then there are other people who have come out and said, no, it should you shouldn't have able-bodied actors doing this. It should be a person who has that injury. And it's like, I just... Being able-bodied myself, it's like, well, I don't quite agree with that. I think that that character had dignity, that it wasn't used for cheap laughs. And also... No one looks like The Rock. (laughs) He is someone who, in this film, is on a bridge and is holding it up at the same time. (laughs) It's like, I don't understand how the physics of what you're doing work. I just know that you're doing it because you're The Rock. Yeah, you're basically doing the macho man version of holding yourself up by your own bootstraps, except it's you're holding up a bridge that you're simultaneously standing on. And you're pretty much holding up the entire building as well, aren't you? And it was sheer dynamic tension. Yeah, indeed, because you are The Rock. And I thought it did stretch. That, that's the one thing, yeah, because it was, it was trying to be, in some ways, a very, very serious thriller. But in other ways, it was like, well, your inherent... Sorry, your premise here is inherently absurd because that building would have collapsed so early on because half of it is ablaze and the temperatures would be through the roof. It would be like another sun. 
all the girders would be melted by now. So the fact that you aren't having as much fun with this as you could be having... But the fact that you are tra- that you are grounded in other aspects makes me question certain aspects of this that you'd otherwise get away with. Yeah, indeed, that's right. Yeah, I'm looking for plot holes when I really shouldn't be looking for plot holes. Set in Hong Kong? Yeah. And uh, obviously there's a lot of Chinese manga that's gone into it because a lot of the yeah. supporting cast of the sort of cops and the people on the ground are Chinese. It is, but one of those things where what do the Chinese cops in this film do? Uh, they do less than... Um, Nev Campbell. No, then... Because she gets a bit to do. She does, yeah, but from Die Hard, the Paul Gleason character, who I think is called Agent Johnson. <laughs> it's um, oh. his special Agent Johnson. Whose um, arc in that film is learning to... Is, is discovery he can still shoot someone dead. No, that's... Um, is that... That's Powell. Powell, though, am I getting this? Paul Gleason is... Um, actually, no, are you, are you, mean um, the, you mean the guy who's Dwayne just there? T. Robinson, Dwayne T. Robinson, right, yes, who's indeed. just there to yell through the megaphone and... That's right, yeah. Boss McLean's balls and... And there is you know, one reason why The Rock is allowed to do a remake of Die Hard in some ways, because the Paul bald. Gleason character... Yes, indeed, that's right. Because the, well, there's that. There's actually many reasons there. Because the Paul Gleason character is called Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson, and the FBI guys are called Johnson. So you've got Dwayne Johnson. So therefore, well, he was he was always destined to be in a Die Hard remake. Well, and Dwayne T. R. Johnson... So yeah, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yes, that's right. It all, it all, it all, it all fits in. Although, uh, yeah, talk about fits in. The one thing the film didn't try to do, which I thought was a bit of a shame, is try and get Dwayne Johnson into a, into an air duct. <laughs> this isn't going to work. That's right. My shoulders are like six foot across. There is no air duct that can hold me. And there was, and it was one of those things where you think, well, actually, Die Hard Bruce Willis is jumping up out of an exploding building, and it's skyscraper. He's jumping into one. There is lots to enjoy here, but. Ultimately, this is not the great fun action film I thought it was going to be because I don't think that they wanted... I think what they were trying to go with in terms of tone and the importance of saving his family and all that kind of stuff, they didn't want to be seen to be playing light with those themes. I also think that, yeah, it ends up taking itself... It it kind of ends up trying to... Straddle the this straddle that divide, I think, largely because of so much money. It was something like 150 million mm. has been poured in. To and caveat, it hasn't done well at the States either. To caveat this, I think my my experience of watching it wasn't quite the same as yours. Yes. I saw it in 4DX. Yes, you did. That's right. You did see it in 4DX, didn't you? Okay. Well, before we get on to Mission Impossible Fallout, which is the film we want to talk about, quickly tell us your 4DX experience. Okay, 4DX for those not in the know is essentially it's. It's a new and groundbreaking way of seeing a film we've all been crying out for yeah. the past century. My God, if film... But imagine if it was better. Is essentially you're in a chair, the chair moves, they basically um, pump in scents and you know, try and make an immersive experience. My experience of seeing Skyscraper could not have been less immersive. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a nice open moment where the, ca- the chair kind of sw- leans slightly as you're going through the swoop of the Universal logo, and I was like, oh, that's quite gentle. That's quite... From that point on... <laughs> Every time there's a fight sequence in it, the chair basically jabs you. Every time a punch is thrown, the chair kind of has like all these, almost like these hammers in it, like in a piano, <laughs> and just kind of punches you or gets you in, gets you in the ribs, like you know, like you're long, on a long car ride with your sibling, and they're kind of just jabbing you in the ribs. I kind of end up dreading the fight sequences, which, given this is an action film, <laughs> isn't going to work. Isn't going to work. It's also. So where are these hammers then? Are they sort of like a kidney level or something? Yeah, they're all like lower back level. Right, so you were sort of like then finding it hard to go to the toilet afterwards <laughs> because your kidneys were bruised. Or and then also like the, you know big big parts of this are set during an inferno. You know this enormous fire that's gutting this skyscraper. And to recreate that, 
They've turned on fans that are pumping in cold air. Oh, this I could do with an inferno right now. It's quite refreshing. <laughs> if we were to tell people that, then um, in in this current heat wave we're having, I think people would flock to Skyscraper in 4DX. Oh, the 4DX version of this film is really holding up the box office for this movie. Everyone's just going there to be fans and quickly more fire. It's so nice to have cold air blown into our faces while we're watching an inferno. That's an odd choice there. That must be a health and safety thing. We can't blow hot air into people's faces because they might pass out or become dehydrated or something. But it doesn't work. This is exactly what the opposite of immersive is. This is like, and this isn't a film in which I think I'm going to get lost. Like, you know, like in the Lost in the Endless Intricacies. But on the other hand, yeah. Do you know what? If they release an Anthony Hopkins Remains of the Day, Howard's End in 40X... I will go and see it out of sheer fascination. But as far as blockbusters go, I'd give it a miss. You took that bullet, so I didn't have to. But in fact, I also I also fired the gun on that bullet, so... Well, I don't know, it's one of those things where at some point, one of us had to experience 4DX. I'm glad it was you. Oh, did you have to pay extra? Because you're a Cineworld customer, yeah, but did you have to pay I, extra for it? Like about, it cost me about a fiver. A fiver to be jabbed and prodded like you're having a medical exam whilst watching a blockbuster film. Oh, dearie me. And also, it's one of these things where I think, guys, we just have to stop with the silliness around gimmicks for movies now, like 4DX and 3D. You watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. At no point are you thinking, this would be better if I was sitting in a malfunctioning lazy boy. You're telling me the point where, where, where Toad's head explodes wouldn't be better if, you know... If he was showered with gore. <laughs> As I said before, like so many things, the only technology that this would be, or the only film this would be good for, is porn. Um, porn, I think, could embrace the 4DX quite well in terms of a vibrating chair and things flying at your face. It's like, ah. <laughs> I feel like I'm there. I really don't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm sure all that has to be programmed. I mean, obviously, it all has to be programmed. I guess also, like, I was at one point thinking, this all feels okay to me. If the sink goes out, I'm fucked. I was going to say, yeah, was it sink? Yeah, as far as I, I mean, right. I was getting jabbed. So again, it was pretty distracting, but I'm yeah. pretty sure. It's like I'm pretty sure he landed that punch. Yeah, that got that, the jab. Got the jab. Okay, let that one. Oh, there it goes again. Yeah. Are there speakers on the chair, or is it? Yeah, there are speakers on the chair. It's... Right, okay, so you got some screaming in your ear as well. It sounds like the most annoying way to watch a film. Although having having that a version of that maybe a slightly subtle version, at least with the whispering in the ear when you're watching something like The Exorcist, would be amazing. Yeah. Well, again, it's like yeah, yes. It's um, is there a way to do this that isn't just for let's try and turn cinema into a roller coaster? It's like well, no, no, no. The roller coaster's up there on screen, and my eyes processing the information, and chemically my body is reacting to that like I'm on a roller coaster. I don't need to actually feel like I'm on a freaking roller coaster whilst watching a film. It doesn't work like that. How many people were in there when you were watching it? Not many. Because I was thinking it would be interesting to watch it if it was full and all the well, seats. Is, is were all the seats moving or was it just the people? Oh, uh, just the ones with people. I, mean. yeah. I don't know if mm. it was weight triggered or whether or not it was. In... Yeah, I wonder if it's one of those things when you buy a ticket, it sends a signal through to say this seat has to be activated for this showing. Oh, cause actually, I could have found out. I could have gone to sat in another seat that wasn't moving. <laughs> Yeah, the best 4DX experience is to find one that isn't working. It's the one that is the one you aren't having. That's right. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, thank you for doing that. Yeah, as soon as you talked about, like, the piano hammers jabbing your kidneys, it was like, no, 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 I'm never, ever going to see a 4DX film. Symphony of Pain! <laughs> yes, it's like, I don't need to see this. And do you need to see Skyscraper? You can wait for it. You can wait for this to come on telly. 
Which is a shame because I love The Rock and I really enjoyed Rampage and I thought everything was building up to this and no. It's not the Megs I look forward to. There is the Megs to look forward to because the state. And plus, like, yeah, The Rock gave us Jumanji, that was great. Rampage, I thought that was great too. So, yeah, two out of three ain't bad. But anyway, Rob, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to talk about the latest Tom Cruise film. Do you accept that mission? I mean, if you, if you say no, it's a very short... I mean, like, I've never... Presumably he, he doesn't... He hasn't said no. Or if he has said no, they decided that wasn't... This mission, if you choose to accept... No, it's... it's no, I've, I'm on leave. I've specifically <laughs> yes. taken time. I'm going to I'm, do I'm, some I'm, free climbing. Yeah, exactly. Let Go away. Go. No, just I'm choosing leave. to reject the mission. There is a reference to that in this, isn't there? Someone said to him, you only choose to accept these missions. You are not the same kind of agent as I am. So well, that's actually a good... It's good that someone has finally said, well, isn't... If you're an agent, isn't a mission something you have to do because that's your job? You don't choose to accept a mission. It's like, yeah, are you a contractor? I'll take, a, take a pass on this one. Um, yeah, do you work for Halliburton? <laughs> <laughs> you're evil. So, Rob, I gave the plot synopsis from IMDb for Skyscraper. Could you please do the honours with the quite remarkable synopsis for Mission Impossible Fallout? Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. Just applies yeah. to all the eight, all the Mission Impossible films. I mean, like the only anything the, about this film. The only all. film you couldn't apply that to is the first one because they weren't yet familiar allies. That's a particularly poor plot synopsis. So, the real plot synopsis for this film is so it follows on from the events of Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. Uh, so Sean Harris's Solomon Lane, who is the most lethal terrorist in the world, is still under lock and key. But he has followers called the Apostles who are trying to wreak terror around the world and basically bring about the end of the world. Well, the, end of civil- like the end of civilization. As yeah, you know, yeah, 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 indeed, yeah. Civilization. Ethan Hunt and his team are the only ones that can stop this, but they are not trusted by the CIA, so they are having to have August Walker, played by Henry Cavill, and Ving Rames is back as Luther Stickle, never knew that his surname was Stickle. Simon Pegg is back as Benji, and Rebecca Ferguson from Rogue Nation is back as Isla. Also, sorry. And Angela Bassett, was she in no, Rogue Nation? No, 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 no she's needs this one, yeah. And Michelle Monaghan uh, is back as kind of Mrs. Hunt, but she has the most thankless role in... She is like the guy from The Hangover who always gets left behind because he's hungover or lost Yes, indeed. She does not have much to do in these films it's like well she's a really good actress but anyway Alec Baldwin is in it as well so we've just seen this tonight I watched MI3 earlier this week because up until tonight I thought well this is the best one right the third one uh, the J.J. Abrams one and uh, watching it again this week I thought my god this first hour is inert but then when you have the scene on the bridge it really kicks into gear and the final hour is actually fantastic now, having watched this film, I think this is probably my favourite one because this seems to be the most consistent throughout. Yeah, I think it's either the, I do. I did really like Rogue Nation. My favourite one will probably always be the, the original, but that's just because at the time I saw it. Um, I think I've said that in a recent podcast. But it's yeah. interesting that, isn't it? I watched that film recently and it seemed quite creaky now and a little bit dull and it has some amazing moments in it still, but it is beginning to show its age. But you saw it when you were first discovering these sort of films. Yeah, so therefore I saw it on an old VHS, or well, then not old VHS. So presumably pan and scan. Um, yeah, it would have been pan and scan. So you were like a duckling and it was imprinting on you this love of this sort of blockbuster cinema. 
which is really nice. It's one of those films that does have a lot of really nice moments in it. I just think that storytelling now, what once seemed like really intricate, now actually seems a bit slow. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. So the first one was your favourite one. Having seen Fallout, what's the verdict? I think think it's very good indeed. I mean, it has become de rigueur in the franchise. The action sequences are fairly astonishing. They are, aren't they? Yeah. And and they always market the film incredibly well using them. Performances are uniformly good. I mean, Tom Cruise can just... There's no one, especially not anyone left from his generation, who's got a franchise that's in sort of as robust health as Mission Impossible seems to be. Think about all his people who we do think about as, as his contemporaries. We haven't seen it yet, but apparently uh, The Equalizer 2, which is, you know, Denzel Washington's first sequel, that film is not particularly interesting. Stallone's doing um, Escape Plan 2, which... Yes, which you have seen, haven't you? Uh, I started it, let's say that. <laughs> um, and... Well, I mean, and that's the thing, like, you know, Tom Cruise, obviously, he had the second Jack Ryan, not Jack Ryan, Jack Reacher film, that which was a bit of a dud. Mm, it really was but, a dud. like, he's got Mission Impossible. In in the same way, actually, that Vin Diesel, or not so much Vin Diesel, The Rock, and his ilk have the, uh, have the Fast and Furious films, yeah. which is probably the best comparison, I think, for Mission Impossible at this. I think it is. So we're seeing Fallout again on Monday at the IMAX. It will be very interesting to see it because it's in 3D. This film does not need to be in 3D. We watched it flat, 2D, and it was astonishing. But this is the sixth film, and it's like, wow, is there a series where the sixth film was the best one of the bunch up to that point? Because Fast and Furious, it was five. I do really like eight. Yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah, but I think that five is, is the one where it's kind of said, okay, we've had a run of films here, they've been mixed, now we're going to do this with the series, and it's like, yes, this is the perfect formula for this series. Which is kind of Ghost Protocol, I think. In, yes, yes, indeed, that's in right. Mission yeah. Impossible, yeah, the equivalent where it's like that, where it kind of locked in what the franchise has now become. You know, the, the absolutely massive set piece, which obviously in that is the Burj Khalifa. Yeah, and yeah, and, and in this one they've kind of quad, like tripled, quadrupled down. The, the plot itself is fairly. Yeah, it's, it, um, it, it gets them from one place to another, and it has it has sufficient level of of intrigue to it. But the plot is basically a series of heists and double crosses in which the stakes are people or plutonium that can be used for nuclear weapons. Yeah, and the, uh, the MacGuffin of the day. It is, yeah. And it's funny, having watched MI3 again, the this series kind of crystallised in what it wanted to do with that sequence on the bridge, a lot of which was done for real. I think it's one of those things, though, where there wasn't water beneath that bridge. It was all CGI, and I seem to remember hearing. But the thing in terms of having a real helicopter there and having the explosions and having him thrown into the side of the car and stuff like that. Although, of course, there is the bit at the beginning of MI2 where he's... Scaling the... Uh, in Australia or yeah, something like that. Yeah, huge mountain. Free climbing, yeah. And that was done for real as well. It did seem to be MI3 where it's like, this is how we're going to weave the action in and have... Tom clearly doing lots of stunts on his own and then it's like well how do we one up this well we we put him on the biggest building in the world and we just hang him off it (laughs) seeing that at the IMAX was amazing even though that film I think after that moment actually just loses interest in everything and then by the end it's like oh just hurry up one of my big complaints about it I know it's a very specific one is having grown up in Dubai gets the geography completely wrong yeah. and he's running and he's running past the DFSA building where my dad used to work and all of a sudden he teleports and he's a couple of miles down the road <laughs> which in all fairness there's, there's an action sequence that takes place uh, in London here involving a rooftop chase in which Tom Cruise injured himself quite badly in Fallout in, in Fallout where the geography if you squint kind of holds up yeah indeed it does seem they do seem to have learned their lesson 
clearly haven't listened to the podcast where you mentioned before sorry but the geography is just completely out for Rogue Nation no sorry for Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Protocol and that's the thing if you, if you are in the like most of your audience either won't have the knowledge to be able to notice or just won't notice yeah but if they do then it can really throw you out of it <laughs> but yeah I did think that that sequence was astonishing and to be honest then in Rogue Nation because I was really up for Rogue Nation I went to the IMAX to see it and was a little bit disappointed by it I've actually gone back to watch it again but the big scene in that the oh my god moment is when he's hanging off that plane isn't it and that's at the very beginning of the film and it's like wow so if that's the beginning of the film what else is going to happen in this film and he drives a motorbike really fast I I actually kind of I I really like Rogue Nation in fact I kind of liked the rest of the film more than that because it's like okay we've got done the big set piece it was good that's good um, because there's the opera fight the, the opera house fight I thought was really good and, and the fact when you know yeah, then, it was good, yeah. then them talking about the behind the scenes on uh, that the plane taking off and Tom Cooper it's like yeah we had to be really careful of bird strikes like, we had somebody clearing, clearing birds away from like you know miles around <laughs> because if one of those hits Tom you know but we've got some very undignified footage of uh, one of the biggest movie stars on the planet getting his neck broken by a pigeon <laughs> And it is quite amazing his that commitment. moment when he, well, yeah, when he takes off, and it's because it's it's one of those things where when the runway and the fields just turn into a patchwork quilt because he's so high, and you can just see it's him hanging off it, and just the way that the wind is blowing against him, it's like yeah, that is just real, isn't it? He's just strapped to the side of a plane, and that plane has taken off with him on it. It's like your commitment to entertaining us is just beyond reproach. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for doing this. And don't think Dwayne Johnson, you know, he's, he's a great entity. I don't think he threw himself at a burning building. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, I know that uh, safety first, and there's no film that's worth someone dying. But <laughs> Skyscraper did suffer a little bit from CGI-itis, I thought. The fire didn't look that real. Which is weird, considering that Backdraft was 27 years ago, and the fire in that looked very real. And a lot of it was real. And this is like, it just looked a little bit like you're not really in these rooms that there is a lot of CGI happening here whereas Fallout it just seemed to go out of its way to say right we are going to do this for real well, there's, a, there's a scene up in where you do the halo jump yes and it's all done as obviously as one take partly because it's just impressive of itself and also partly you think because just to say well no this is really Tom Cruise who's going out this plane like 25,000 feet up yeah I mean, high altitude low opening almost the cruising height for planes <laughs> And he's jumping out of that, so he needs oxygen because he's so high up. And, yeah, apparently he trained for a year to do that, so that you would get that shot of him jumping out of the plane. I do sometimes feel a bit sorry for him, because that's a bit like the mummy, when the plane's crashing, and they filmed it in a parabolic aeroplane. So they so could actually get them up to zero Gs, so actually get them floating. Yeah, because the plane can drop and then... Sorry, yeah, so lots of Gs, so they can... Yeah. yeah, so they then float around and it can look like the plane is crashing, but everyone just assumes it's CGI. And I think a lot of people will assume that the halo jump in this film is a lot of CGI because or it's all CGI because a lot of it is clearly CGI because it's all done in one shot and they and him and Henry Cavill do things that are like well now you're acting so this can't all be real because this is not how you would act if you were really plummeting towards the earth so was it just the opening bit when he jumped out of the plane that was real it was a good shot but yeah Tom does do a lot in this film that you think wow you really want to entertain the audience with absolutely breathless sequences 
Because it seems to me that him and Christopher McQuarrie, the who's the director, and he was the director on Rogue Nation as well, wasn't he? And also the writer, and is the writer of The Usual Suspects. I mean, and Valkyrie. Has, and Valkyrie. He has history with Tom, and he has form in great crime cinema and twisty, turny plots. Yeah, so one of the things we talked about, like, who they bring back for each film, you know, Jeremy Renner is, no, is not notable in his absence. That's right, yeah. And yeah, you get the feeling that there are certain people that Tom Cruise, you know, obviously gets on with and likes working on. He's, and he's clearly, seems to be the driving force behind these films. And it's like, oh no, yeah, he obviously gets on with Ring Rames, he's obviously gets on with Simon Pegg, he obviously gets on with Rebecca Ferguson, and therefore it's like, you're part of the gang. You yeah, are. so Dean Christopher McCorry clearly is taking the series in a direction that Cruise approves of, because Cruise is the controlling, I mean, he is the producer, but he is the controlling force behind this entire franchise, I think. Do you think they've got to, whenever they want to make a creative decision, they've got to go in front of it, and it's like being in a Roman Coliseum. I think it's probably like Dragon's Den or something. It's him and a couple of people from the Church of Scientology. And it's like, do you agree with this? Yes, we do. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. You can do that. I can imagine this was one where there wasn't a tent where people could find out about things on this particular shoot. But the thing that I was thinking was that as I was watching the film, was that they, they have looked at the great action films from recent history and are saying, right, we're going to take that, I'm going to take that, we're going to take that, and we're going to weave it into our story. And not in a empty homage way but in a way that enhances our story and one of those is we're going to try and do the best version of that for its own sake yes we are going to be inspired by these great films but we're not just going to slavishly emptily copy them there's a motorbike chase through Paris that made Mm. me think of the Bourne films yes indeed and there's a, a fist fight quite a brutal fist fight in a white tile bathroom that's in the trailer and that's very Casino Royale yeah it really is and there's a lot of the Dark Knight trilogy in this film, which is ironic in that we talked about the Dark Knight on the last podcast. Did we? Yes, we did. I think for about 25 minutes, plus another four usual, hours. I usually dispense Yes, indeed. But we covered a lot of that history in there. But this I was thinking, well, okay, you are taking elements from the Dark Knight Rises around having nuclear bombs and having things that you need to find to stop them going off and having a rogue scientist who has found um, a way to weaponize all of this, etc., etc. There is a, a sequence in there, like a snatch sequence when they're trying to get somebody that seems to be an amalgamation of the Harvey Dent scene chase scene from the Dark Knight when he's in that SWAT band and the Joker's trying to get him and also the opening of the Dark Knight Rises when Bane's plane gets the smaller plane and it's like okay so there's a lot of things in here that are very familiar and also the music in that scene is the opening to the Dark Knight Rises that must have been the temp track they used because they basically just mimic it if I can find that music I'll do a comparison right now
And there was a bit in there as well. There was a car chase where I thought, this is the French connection, right? You are trying to yes, do so the French they're connection. They're underneath a, uh, right, a yes, tram. That's right. But then I was thinking, well, this is all deliriously good fun. It's so well staged. It knows exactly what to do with geography. It knows exactly what to do with characters and to show who's where. The action serves a purpose in terms of the journey that the characters are on. There's a whole thing around Ethan Hunt not wanting to kill anyone, but also valuing a single life as much as the fate of a nation. It does make a point of him saying he's a good man, and that's kind of on the repeated thing. One of my few issues with the film is Solomon Lane, who I really, I really liked as a villain in the uh, in Rogue Nation. You know, so I think described him as evil, yes, or the turtle. Yes, he's a bit discredited in this one. Discredited in which way? In terms of he gets a couple of uh, your world's gonna end, fallout, the thing you always feared. But he's not. He doesn't really do anything that influences the plot. No, no. I think he is the football in this, isn't he? Yeah. He is the thing that people are trying to get, or they are passing on to each other. Sorry, I, actually, I said Nathan Lane again instead of Solomon Lane. Oh, I, I think. Are, I, I think. I thought you said Solomon Lane. Well, maybe I did. Maybe and maybe <laughs> maybe now my brain. I've, I've been repeatedly referring to him as Nathan Lane because for some reason I couldn't remember he was called Solomon. Well, I think. That if they want to get Nathan Lane as the villain for the next movie, I would be on board with I, that. I would watch the hell out of it. I saw, I, saw him yeah. in, I saw him in a production of Angels in America recently, in the Pacino role. Oh, God, um, oh God the name of which escaped me. The, the, uh, the, the Hugh Act lawyer. Right. When he pr- prosecuted the uh, Rosenbergs. Oh, that's going to... Roy Cohen. Right. And he was incredible. And very... And really found the... He plays Roy Cohen. Yeah. Who was Trump's lawyer as well at one point, yep. wasn't he? Yeah, well, okay. Well, that would be interesting because, yeah, Roy Cohen was a complete and utter fucking scumbag. And Nathan Lane isn't known for no, being and he, that. He did, he did it very well. <laughs> well, okay. well, then he should play the villain in the next MI film. I thought that Solomon Lane in this... I'm not sure if I preferred him in this, but I didn't think he was discredited. I think it was one of those where they had established that he was the most dangerous terrorist because he is just so radical um, and he wants to bring about the end of civilization. And also, I thought that they allowed him to have a touch of the Charles Manson about him in his, yeah, I... in his wide eyes and his wild beard and just his complete and utter rejection of any kind of compassion. And I'm, I'm not saying that they, uh, they they dropped him down the chimney stack while he was screaming about stainless steel delicatessens. <laughs> yes. But indeed. given that he was kind of set up as being the blowfell in the previous film. Yes, that's right. Yes, he was. But I'm wondering... Sorry, do we need to, is that a reference I need to explain or can I just let that sit? We'll just let our audience feel good if they got that reference. Because it's quite an obscure reference, but not too obscure now that you've given the Blofeld clue. But to that point now, I think... Would this work if we looked at Rogue Nation and Fallout as one big movie? Because this follows on from Rogue Nation. Would this work if you put it on one Saturday afternoon and say, I'm going to watch this and this is just a big single story? Yeah, I think it possibly might. I really think it would because the ending of Rogue Nation is quite low-key in a way. The ending of this one is absolutely spectacular. <laughs> it's in the trailer, but there is a lot of helicopter stunt work in there. And, yeah, it's like, I can watch this. I could watch a lot of this before I got bored. This is so exciting and so spectacular. And there are so many things here. It just keeps escalating. <laughs> and whenever you think, OK, they have to achieve a goal now, it then just gets another obstacle thrown in the way. But not in the way that Rogue Nation did, where I just got bored in the end, thinking, I'll oh, just hurry up and save the world. In this one, it was like, no, I am having so much fun just watching what the film is going to throw at Tom Cruise next. <laughs> and just see him take it on the chin. And <laughs> The one thing I am thinking about this is when we see it at the IMAX on Monday in 3D, I am worried 
that the 3D is going to get in the way of the action sequences because a lot of the Paris stuff is so frenetic and so fast, particularly when it's on that bike, and it's like, well, this is really getting across just how he is riding faster than he can see. So you're getting glimpses of things coming at you here, and it's so good, but I think in 3D, is it going to just be too much to take in at once or something like that? And is it going to be one of those where it's like, no, all of this action is completely spoiled now because of 3D is one worry that I've got. Also, another worry is, is this going to be a film that once you know how the action beats work, you actually find there's not a lot else to it? I don't know. I like the story. Yeah, that's the thing. I haven't actually gone back and rewatched Rogue Nation. I think that, and I, again, I can't say so entirely, I think I might prefer Rogue Nation. I really, I, really, I really liked Fallout. I really got on with it. I just, for some reason, have fo- really fond memories of Rogue Nation. I do need to go back and Fond, non-specific memories of Rogue Nation. <laughs> That's the thing is that I have, for some reason, and I might have been, I think I was on holiday when you guys went to the IMAX to see Rogue Nation. So I went on a Saturday afternoon on my own and paid to see the IMAX. I was so looking forward to it that I thought, okay, I'll pay the 23 quid at the IMAX rather than use my Cineworld card. And watched it thinking I am enjoying this film but it's not reaching the dizzying heights that I expected as a follow up to Ghost Protocol I just remember there being quite a bit of CGI in there like when it's in that submerged room where he has to do a certain sequence of events to get the MacGuffin that will help him get the other MacGuffin and I just remember that being like I'm just watching Tom Cruise in a CGI room I actually feel a bit removed from this and there's no other action scene that stands out from that film that I can actually remember so like the Opera House fight Oh yes, there is that. I keep forgetting that. And it's like, so you, uh, I do need to go back and watch it again because I might like it more. On a, not that I didn't like it, but it was one of those where I thought, yeah, that was okay. But I need to go back and watch it again. Whereas this one, I thought your mission that you chose to accept was we want to make one of the best action films ever made. And I think they have achieved a lot of that with the action sequences. You know, when you think of the of the variations in it. So you have the fight scene in the toilet. That's very good. You have car chases. You have bike chases. You have gunfights. You have foot chases. You use the geography of buildings I mean, to... Uh, to... I'm just saying, well, you've got to wonder... Because everyone just, you know... If it, wouldn't things be resolved so much quicker if everyone just stood around and had a conversation? Well, there is that. <laughs> stop, the stop running and stop <laughs> chasing! Well, we know that Tom just loves running. Still. You're visit- yeah. He's, he is the he is the Forrest Gump of action heroes. <laughs> He's the Forrest Gump. I so was perfect. running. I'm going to save the world yeah. by running. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets. My mum always said that life's like a pair of Nikes. And for a fifty-two-year-old man, something like yeah, I think he, he might can be still. Older than that. He can I mean, still. He can. He can. He can peg it. He can peg it. He can. He can Simon peg it. He does obviously look visibly older than he does in the first Mission Impossible film. <laughs> Which was 22 years ago. It's weird that you... Because I, of course, at that point, think, well, I grew up watching Tom Cruise in The Colour of Money and Taps and those sort of films. So by the time we got to the first film, he was an adult. But now I go back and look at it and go, wow, he was a child. (laughs) Look at how young he is in that film. But it just shows that the longevity of this series and that he has only really done it clearly when he wanted to do another Mission Impossible film and when he thought that the story was right. While we're on the topic of the first film, is it a spoiler if we mention Max? No, because I think actually it's one of those things where there is a lot of trust that people will remember the first film, a 22-year-old movie, for a major character in this film, which seems to be all over the internet anyway, so it's fine. Uh, Yeah, so who is Max? Max, in the first film, was an arms dealer played by Vanessa Redgrave who's trying to be the middle person for the, the knock list. 
the list of agents. And this film has a character called uh, the White Widow, played by Vanessa Kirby. Vanessa Kirby, who is meant to be Max's daughter. And, and references in Max, and this is set up very early on. The film never kind of is never made explicit, or the film never goes out of its way to explain what exactly what that means. But she is, she's wonderful in it as well. She really channels Vanessa Redgrave. Yes, so we were talking about this. Hasn't been confirmed. I might be wrong, but it sounded like it was actually Vanessa Redgrave's voice that she was doing the voice of the White Widow character, and this younger woman was lip syncing. It just did not seem to be a young woman's voice. That I think they either got Vanessa Redgrave in and have just kept it secret because it just it it just did not seem to be a young woman's voice. And I actually thought it was Emma Thompson at first. Or they modulated Vanessa Kirby's voice to such a degree that it just sounds like Vanessa Redgrave. At the beginning of that scene, I thought, this is slightly distracting because was Emma Thompson in a Mission Impossible film? I just can't remember it. Hmm. And it's like, oh no, it's Vanessa Redgrave, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so, so Vanessa Redgrave's doing the voice of this character then and she's just lip-syncing. She, uh, but that's yet to be confirmed. Yeah, Emma Thompson wasn't a Men in Black film. She was. She's, she's apparently coming back for the new one. Um, oh God, we don't need that. We don't need the new Men in Black film. <laughs> We just don't. <laughs> the first one was the only good one. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. With you. you know what? I I live in hope. Yeah, uh, the yes. only place worth living. Yeah, that's right. But but I do think that Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa, she is good, and it was like, well, you and she seems to be a member of this team now, so it will be interesting to see if they bring her back for the next movie. Yeah, she does good agent, I think. Tom has a type, and it seems to be the English rose. You had Emily Blunt in. Edge of Tomorrow and whatever her name was from The Mummy. <laughs> oh, Annabelle Wallace. Very well remembered. And one more time because I think I just taught over you. Annabelle Wallace? Annabelle Wallace. I think I had a, I had a yeah. slight <laughs> advantage remembering her name. Then there have been other examples of that. I mean, it was Tandy Newton, of course, was in Mission Impossible 2. And. It wasn't really any. Well, who was in the first one? It was French. Somebody French. Yes, it was. Uh, somebody French. Somebody French. Jean Renault. Um, who was, was in the first one? Yes, it was. It was Emmanuel Bayard. But also, Kristen Scott Thomas. Yes. Was in it as well for a little bit. So, yes, he does seem to have this English rose type. But they all are cast very well to do the fisticuffs convincingly. And she is good when she's riding around looking super cool in her leathers with a sniper rifle and stuff. It's like you said afterwards do we need Bond? Because this is just doing everything that Bond used to do really well, but doing it in a much more convincing way than Bond is currently doing. And, a, and a more stylistically, because the, the, the helicopter chase sequences in the trailer, not so much during the frenetic parts of it, but during the early setup to that, I was like, that is a Dutch tilt. You are shooting a helicopter chase, you, and, that, and that shot is a Dutch tilt. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> A Dutch tilt being being it's essentially film noir where you, where you count the angle of the shot. And it kind of creates this skewed yeah, image. Definitely, yeah. Clearly chosen that shot for a reason, and it's stylistically really works. And it's got it does have people kind of walking through, you know, shadowy European, well, sorry, sunlit, but walking through the shadows of like you know, colonnades and piazzas. Like and this came from a TV series made in the sixties that was directly inspired by James Bond. And Henry Cavill, of course, was also in. Is it Cavill? Was that you Cavill? Say? Henry Cavill. Yeah. Henry Cavill was also, of course, in The Man from Uncle which was another series that was inspired by Bond from the 60s. So all of this seems to be feeding directly into what Cruz and McCorry are doing here. And it's working really well. It's like, yes, you are you know exactly what to do with these archetypes. You know exactly how to place them. And also to set them in this world. But there wasn't a lot 
of gadgets in this that seem to be outlandish. They were it's tracking the, devices yeah. and stuff. Like and the that. masks. The masks are still. But the masks. Oh yeah, that's the thing. They are. I think that the masks are. They, just a plot thing that you you just let it go because they're so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. That the masks are absolutely flawless. And having watched the new Sasha Baron Cohen show, Who Is America, where he wears a lot of prosthetics, even though the prosthetic work in that is very good, you would like to think that you could still spot this is someone who is wearing. This is the, that is not his face. Is it just something too kind of shiny about that and built up? But yes, of course, the masks Especially are. Sometimes, yeah, certain characters whose faces they're wearing are they are quite gaunt. In fact, they're more gaunt than the people who are wearing <laughs> the them. Thing isn't it? That's the really, really interesting thing. Is that yeah, you? How is this working with the person's real face? Is it pressing against their skull? I don't know. But that, yeah, you're that, right. That, that, that's that's one that's gag the... they've never used in it. They've imagined like you know somebody who's clearly just physically completely different wearing the mask of a face, wearing the mask <laughs> of somebody. Be like, what's going on here? Yes, that would be good. Going in, everybody's wearing a mask of Tom Cruise's face. Yes, indeed. That's a long callback. That is a very long callback to The Mummy, isn't it? Go back and listen to The Mummy. There is a thing where we talk about Cruise, and it's quite funny, I thought. There's a really nice moment in Mission Impossible 3 where the dear departed Philip Seymour Hoffman is washing his face in a bathroom and then looks up and he's standing behind him because Cruise is wearing the mask and presumably some padding as well. And that's a really good moment. It does have those sort of moments in there. There's a really good moment here during the helicopter scene where someone is surprised to see Ethan Hunt that we won't spoil but it is just one of those really good moments of like that's exactly how that would play out if this was real as well as also in the helicopter scene certain the possible ad-libs yes there is a very good possible ad-lib yeah it's such a well-landed swear word and we can't spoil it here it did get a big laugh Again, it's like, it's so weird that we've done all these superhero films this year and Infinity War has made over 2 billion and Black Panther has made 1.7 billion or something like that. But really, the two best action blockbusters are a film from a 22-year-old franchise and Incredibles 2, which is a cartoon. And these, I think, have the best action set pieces in them. Um, I don't think there's anything in Infinity War that can really rival what we saw tonight. No, I'd agree with that. And I don't know if there's anything else this summer that's going to really... Ant-Man and the Wasp. (laughs) Yes, Ant-Man and the Wasp that I've already seen. And uh, we will be saving that for when Rob has caught (laughs) caught up with the diminutive exploits of... All I can say is, I was really looking forward to this film. And then Rob looked at me after he'd seen it and... His face wrote a review. But yeah, you're right. I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything else out that's coming out this year. There's, when there's The Meg, but The Meg is a monster movie more than an action movie, isn't it? And although, of course, that's going to be a masterpiece as well. well yeah, but in the not too distant future, given that they've just announced the lineup for Toronto, and I think Venice is ongoing now, we're going to be entering... Um, Award season. We're going to be entering serious film season. That's right, yeah, so serious film season. We haven't had a serious blockbuster this year like Dunkirk, have we? No. I'm not... I'm not I'm not misremembering, yeah, no. Although, I have to admit, there were, like I said to you after the film, the end of Fallout, it was like, that was like watching Dunkirk. It just was so hard for them to achieve what they needed to do. That I'm actually a bit knackered now, just having watched all of that. It's uh, It does feel like the universe is playing keep away with certain things they need. It really does. It's like, yes, yes, you're right. It's like, this is not just the people involved here, but there are cosmic forces here <laughs> testing Tom's resolve. And it is interesting that when you watch this, you think... Tom Cruise as much as you think Ethan Hunt because like 
I think this is just your life. Okay, so is there anything else to say about Mission Impossible Fallout? That it's probably the blockbuster of the summer. Interesting, yeah. It's I think in terms of well, for me, I think it's yeah, it is the blockbuster that I've enjoyed the most. It will be interesting to see how it fares at the box office because we saw it today, the twenty sixth of July, opening day. We saw it at the Super Screen at the Sydney World in Wandsworth, and it was pretty empty, wasn't it? Yeah, we were, maybe there was maybe half a dozen people in there. Oh no, no, there was, no, more than that. there was about I think about twenty people in there. Really, twenty? Okay, they yeah. obviously. I think I didn't. I was all spotted around. Yes, I was spotted around. Yes, I obviously didn't uh, clock them all. But you can. I think there's about three hundred seats, so it was empty. And the last time we had that experience was solo, and that didn't fare very well. But I hope the Fallout does better. I imagine if this ended up being the last one because it just didn't make enough money to justify another. That'd be a shame. It would be a shame, actually. I mean, it does end in a way that you kind of think, well, if that is the last one. There's clearly other stories they can tell, but yeah, you wouldn't feel that ended on a cliffhanger that never got resolved. It would be a shame, though, because yeah, I really enjoyed it and would like to see another one in that same vein. It would be interesting to, to see where they go next. Well, actually, yeah, they'd probably be the Far East or something like that, because this one's quite Eurocentric, isn't it? Or maybe just America, because they haven't done America a lot in any of these, have they? Yeah, but I guess part of it is wanting to get away from the States, because... We go and visit all these jet-setting locales. I know that America is a big country, but it'd be a bit like doing a Bond film where he doesn't leave Britain. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's um, well, yeah. Young, but, um, Though I would pay to see that. I'm not going like like really parochial Bond. Yeah, parochial Bond. Like yeah, so he goes from Manchester to uh, to London and then ends up in the West Country or something like that. But, yeah, basically, a Bond be. film meets well, Skyfall. That really isn't it? Like um, Skyfall, he doesn't really leave Britain. Yeah. Skyfall meets Sightseers. I'm. We just go to Shanghai, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, he does go to... And I think of a few other places. He goes to Ireland. Oh, yes, he does. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be bullshit. It's only really the last hour of that film. But yeah, they, yes, they, they could go to the Far East. They could go... Well, they could go to Mexico. All I want is for Tom Cruise to have another action-packed holiday, please. <laughs> I'm sure that's all... Another extreme sports holiday. All he wants as well, yes. Well, yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's like, what is next? It's like we were talking about after the film. At some point, he's going to go into space for real, right? He's going to go to the International Space Station and they're going to film an action well, scene. Yeah, with, with Richard Branson and Elon Musk and everything that's going on in that spot, it's going to be in the news in the next couple of years, I think. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think it's going to be a race to see which franchise can get into space first. What, them or Fast and Furious? Absolutely. Because Fast and Furious, they are going to go into space at some point as well. Almost <laughs> inevitably. Do you remember when this was about them... And this was Earthbound. The first film was all about them... Like trying to boost DVD players. It is, isn't it? It's boosting DVD players so they can buy the really expensive rims for their cars. And now they're just these plausibly going to go into space. <laughs> what was it in the last one? There was there was a submarine in it that was breaking and through, the ice, through the ice. And thousands and missiles of missiles like, that they're riding and stuff. Yeah, like remote that. control cars like smashing them, smashing down the streets right. of New York. I did like that film. Yeah, but yes, they are going to go into space at some point. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's, it's, um, so it's 20 past one in the morning, you have work tomorrow, I'm on holiday, so I think we need to wrap it up now. So, thank you, and what is going to be the next one, do you think? Is it going to be, it probably is Ant-Man and the Wasp, isn't it? Because that's out week tomorrow, is the 3rd of August? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so, I'll see Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we'll also see the Meg the week after, so then, yes, we will probably, probably go a little large. Yes, we can go a little large. That'll be fantastic. And on that note, thank you very much, Rob. Thank you very much, Rob. 
and thank you for listening and yes do go and check out Mission Impossible Fallout so cheers and we will speak to you soon and your mission if you choose to accept it will be to listen to us remember he never rejects the missions that's